Welcome to Times Square Church. Well, obviously, we are not in our normal spot that we do our sermons at. We are in the rotunda of Times Square Church. You see Christmas trees. Let me just tell you what we're getting ready to do for this Christmas season. I want you to join us on December 20th for our Times Square Church Christmas concert. This is going to be an exciting time of music, testimonies that lift up the name of Jesus. And then it doesn't stop there. On December 24th, it is going to be the first premiering of the Times Square Church original Christmas movie. Okay, listen close. Get rid of Hallmark, go TSC on Christmas Eve night. It is going to be a powerful opportunity, not only to watch, but a powerful opportunity for your family to hear the gospel in a Christmas movie. It is going to be a great night. I want us to pray and I want us to believe that God is going to come and speak to us in the next few moments. Father, thank you for what you're going to speak to us. I thank you that this time represents the time that would change all other times, all centuries on this planet. Every kindred, every tongue, every tribe would be changed because on that Bethlehem night, God sent a Savior. Come speak to us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. The Old Testament ends, when I open up my Bible, with the book of Malachi. Literally, you just turn one page and you're facing the Gospel of Matthew. But this is what I want you to know. That one page between Malachi and Matthew represents 400 years. 400 years where God is silent, men have no word from heaven, there's no prophet and no preacher. And then, after 400 years of silence, the silence is broken with the cry of a baby in a manger. The cry that man was hearing that night was God for the first time in centuries. <laughs> Love has come. Really, joy has come. And just like the old Christmas hymn says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So grows the great Christmas hymn. Think about that. The implication of those words is that the coming of Jesus into our world and into our lives, that things must be different and they will be different. But the song has a challenge for us. Our job since the king has arrived on that Bethlehem night is we must prepare him room. It wasn't just the job of a hotel owner that didn't have room at the end. It is everyone's job to prepare him room. Why must we prepare him room? Because we live in a world that can clutter out the king. And today, over these next few moments, and really over the next few weeks, I want to do my best to remove clutter from Christmas. In fact, hold on, I want to remove singing from Christmas. Because I think singing has cluttered the Christmas message. Now before you attack me, just give me the opportunity to, to tell you what I mean by this as we read that incredible Bethlehem night. I was laughing at the story of a little boy and his sister that were singing their favorite Christmas carol um, before they were about to leave to church on a Sunday. The boy concluded the great Christmas hymn, Silent Night, with these words, sleep in heavenly beans, B-E-A-N-S. His sister looked at him, hit her hand on her head, and said, that's not correct. It's not sleep in heavenly beans. It's sleep in heavenly peas. Think about that. 
That's our society that we live in. The people correcting the society today, our government, our politicians, our courts, don't even have it right. They're singing peas, society is singing beans, and we think that we're trying to get everything together. And neither has the answer, because they won't acknowledge the only answer to our society, and that was the baby that came, Jesus. Because Jesus came, every heart must prepare him room. We live in a time that there is a fight to rewrite Christmas all over America. From removing nativity scenes to speech alterations from Merry Christmas, we have to say Happy Holidays now. All the way to public schools can no longer have a Christmas pageant or a Christmas um, concert. It has to be a winter festival. In fact, the big one now is to stop, is the fight to stop Christmas songs that have Christ's birth, that Bethlehem night, as the topic. They want the singing about Jesus to stop. The beans and the peas people may have it right, but a little bit partially when it comes to the singing part. Now, I want you to, to kind of understand what I'm about to say. Get ready for this. I may agree with these people based on what I see happen on that Bethlehem night. I think our singing may need to take a pause. Let me explain. Because I think we've missed something on that, that something critical that happened on that first Christmas night that we're missing on every day because of what took place that night. Let me explain. Music is a big part of this season. I get it. Everybody has a Christmas album out. We have grandmas that are getting run over by reindeer and people miss, missing teeth in their mouth. Some of our favorite Christmas CDs from the Nat King Cole to the Johnny Mathis to the Michael Buble and, and, and Charlie Brown's uh, Vince Guaraldi has, has just literally has millions of listens. But if you want to get it right, if you want to unclutter Christmas, if you want to prepare him room, then let's focus on what the Bible says. In fact, let me read this to you because I think there's something really important that keeps coming up in these verses. Let me read them to you. This is Matthew chapter 2. We, we read these passages last week, but something just leaped from the pages as I was reading this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Remember we talked about last week how the far became close, and yet the close, who you read in a few moments, the scribes and the priests, were really far from him. And they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief, chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from that exact time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Do you understand what happened that night? Do you see what took place that night? There was no singing the night Jesus was born, but there was worship. That's what was the difference. 
There was worship the night Jesus was born. And I have this sense that we're missing something, that something has cluttered out worship and brought us back to singing. And I believe the challenge for us in this season is we have to change our singing to worship. We have to get this right. There, there is a difference I, that, that between, I believe, singing and worship. I grew up in the church. In fact, I heard that there is a difference between praise and worship. The church has traditionally defined praise and worship as slow songs for worship and fast songs is praise. What's worrying me today is not whether these definitions are correct based on tempo, but there's a larger issue that is happening in music in the church. In fact, there's so much output of songs that are beginning to inundate the body of Christ. The quantity is huge. The quality at times is powerful, but my concern is, is what is happening in the sanctuaries, in the church, and from the people that are beginning to sing these songs. They are singing songs, but we are losing worship. We're singing the lyrics, but we're losing the worship. It's scary to see singers on a stage and not worshipers. I, 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 I kept thinking about this because I've been, we have been created to worship God, not sing to God. This, this may get me in trouble, but I, I, I'll just say it. It's, I, I'm not sure I can sing, or let me just say it like this. I can sing with a cup of coffee or a latte in my hand. I think worship demands my whole being. I think when it comes to singing, we can do it with lattes. When it comes to worship, and I'm not against a church serving a cup of coffee, but when it comes to worship, I think at those point, at that point, we put everything aside and we say, he deserves our entire being. I'm thinking about what Hebrews 12, 28 says. It says, let us be thankful because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please him with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Even that night, angels we're not singing that night. They were worshiping and praising. Listen to Luke chapter 2. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Matthew 2 says worship three times in verse 2 and verse 8 and verse 1. Not once does it say the words that they sang at that manger scene. This is so important for us to understand what worship actually is. Notice that after the word worship came one important word. After worship came the word him, H-I-M. And that word him is Jesus. See, you can sing songs, but you have to worship him. See, worship has focus. It has one aim and it's him. It's Jesus. If you come to church, you can sing. If you come to religion, you can sing. But if you come to Jesus, you have to worship. That's the difference. Those people came, those three magi came and bowed before him, presented the gifts to him. That's why worship took place. That's what you and I must do when we come to him. God wants worship, not singing in his church. What happens when we worship? I want to just take the next few moments to just let us see what this actually means. I believe, number one, worship defined that child. It defines the child in that manger. Cities and governments know that if they put 
the child in that manger scene out on public property, it calls for a response. Even Herod knew that. This is the big reason why I believe there's so much debate on putting up even a nativity scene. See, if this is just a baby, then what's the threat? But that's not a baby. If it's a baby, let's all sing. But if it's who the Bible says is in that manger, the king of all kings, then we are called to worship. See, people are not threatened by a baby, but people are threatened by a king. They can deal with the baby, but we can't deal with the king. But why? Why, why are people threatened by a king? Listen, because kings come to take over. See, we live in a society that wants a baby in a manger, not a king on the throne. They want a pine tree decorated with tinsel and ornaments, not a tree desecrated with a bloody man that would die for the sins of the world. They want a Santa that has access to a chimney, but not a God who has access to a heart. They want a season of the year, but not a lifestyle to live by. I want you to, I want you to listen carefully. Santa wants your chimney, but Jesus wants your heart. Santa wants one day a year. Jesus wants every day of the year. Santa has a list, naughty and nice. Jesus has one list. Everyone is naughty, but he's come to fix that. Listen close. Jesus did not come to change the calendar. He came to change hearts and lives. If you remove Jesus, then all you get is a holiday, not a transformation. Listen to these amazing words by the great 19th century Charles Spurgeon, preacher Charles Spurgeon. Because he wants to remind us that the baby that came once is going to be coming a second time. It's, really, it's, 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 it's from a sermon that talks about the second coming and the first coming are going to be different. First coming, that Advent night, that Bethlehem night. Second coming, that's the rapture. That's when he comes as King of Kings. Listen to what he said. Charles Spurgeon said, preach these words. He is unexpected by most the first time and few will be ready at his second coming. He came as a baby, but he will return as a man. He sat on a woman's knee. Now the whole earth will be at his feet. Then he appeared as an infant, and now the high arches of heaven shall be too small for him. Where is his carpenter's smock? Now he wears the purple robe of royalty. Where are the toil-worn feet? Now they are sandaled with light. I challenge you, world, to treat him now as you did before. Crowds come forward now to throw him headlong from the hill. Step forward, Pharisee, to tangle him in his talk. Herodians, where is your penny to trap him? Sadducees, have you no riddle left? Smite him on the cheek now, soldier. Set him again in the chair and spit in his face, Roman. Have you lost the old cloak to cast about his shoulders again? Where are your songs and where are your jokes now? He was righteous the first time. He will be righteous the second time with the righteousness of supremacy. He came then to endure the penalty. Now he comes to procure the reward. He came then to serve. Now he comes to rule. He came to open a door of grace. Now he comes to shut it. He came now not to, not to redeem, but to judge, not to save, but to sentence. Oh, Jesus, how great is the difference between thy first coming and thy second coming. He came then in poverty. Now he will return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. I want to be, re I want to be ready for that second coming. That's why the first coming means everything. 
And I believe what one man said, don't get wrapped up in what the world has to sell that you miss what God has to give. What worship does is define who is in that manger. Number two, I want you to get this. Because if we worship, we're saying something about that child, not a time of the year. Secondly, worship means that there is someone greater than you. See, Christmas is not about you and it's not about me. It's not about children. There's a different focus. See, what's interesting is this is the only birthday we celebrate where you're not allowed to mention the name of the person we're celebrating. Someone has introduced me to a song called On My Father's Side. This is powerful and I want to read to you the lyrics of the song because on which side you land determines really if you believe that there is someone greater that was born that day. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Just a young boy in the temple one day sharing with the doctors. They were so amazed. Never had they seen one so young speak so sweet. They asked him many questions. The conversation went like this. What's your name, son? On my mother's side, my name is Jesus. But on my father's side, he called me Emmanuel. How old are you? On my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I've always been. I am Alpha and Omega, without beginning and without end. Where are you from? On my mother's side, I'm from Bethlehem. But on my father's side, it is a new Jerusalem. And then they looked at him and said, then what is your plan? On my mother's side, I'll be crucified. But on my father's side, in three days, I'll arise and sit at my father's side. He was the son of God and yet the son of man. And I can't help but wonder how Joseph must have felt when, the, when through an open door that day, he heard his son reply. He said, you see, I'm the king of kings that is on my father's side. See, I think we live in a culture that has gotten stuck on his mother's side when, when worship reminds us, listen, on his father's side. Those who only know his mother's side will sing in church, but those who know about his father's side have to worship in church. Singers just know about this night. Worshipers know that that is a baby who has come to take over. I was reading the story of a girl of 10 years old that went with her family to see a Christmas light display that they would begin to look at every single year. It was the live nativity that they would see every single year at a local church. And every year you would see the camel and you would see the cow and you would see all the farm animals. And then you would see someone playing Joseph and Mary and actually a baby that would be there in, a, in, in, in some hay. And I was reading the story that the grandmother looked and says, isn't this beautiful? And the granddaughter, the 10-year-old, who is very, very profound, said this. She says, it's beautiful, Grandma. It's really nice. But there's only one thing that bothers me as we go here every single year. Listen to what she says. She says, does the baby Jesus ever grow up? Because every time we come, he's the same size every single year. I want to give you some good news. He doesn't stay the same size that baby did grow up. And if Jesus grows up, then it's not about a tree in your house. It is about another tree. It's about an old rugged cross. In fact, let me be really clear with you today. Santa Claus 
has never died for anybody. But that child grew up and became the sacrifice for all of humanity. That baby defines, that worship defines who's in that manger. I want us to understand that right now. I think also worship means that there is someone greater than you, that it's not about us. And finally, worship doesn't need music. It needs humility. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, as long as you are proud, you can't know God. Proud people can sing. Only humility can worship. I'm approaching the age now with teenage children that now it's easier to talk to grandparents because I don't have little ones, but many of you are parents who have little ones or even grandparents that take your, um, your young grandchildren to fast food restaurants. I never grew up with this, that when you walk now into a fast food restaurant, they have a whole playground that's there. I was amazed when I took my kids many years ago about who could go into the playground. In fact, with all these tunnels and all these little slides that were there, they had there a marker and said that says, you cannot be any taller than this. And it was 48 inches. In other words, the small size was your ticket in. That the shorter you were, the smaller you were, that's what was your ticket in. And I have to tell you today, and so your size too determines whether you can have the real Christmas. That the kingdom of heaven can bring in the true peace and the joy. Size does matter. See, if God gets low to come to us, do you think you can remain upright when you come to him? Jesus humbled himself to come to this planet to take on the form of a servant, to take on the form of a baby. Do you think we're going to come in with, uh, with, with standing upright? This calls for humility. Worship calls for humility. You can't sing anymore when you know who that, that, that is. See, Paul summed it up in Philippians chapter 2. See, Jesus did not just humble himself to become a baby. He humbled himself and died for us to become our sacrifice. It wasn't just about becoming a baby. It was about becoming our sacrifice. That's what Paul says. He talks about this descent in Philippians chapter 2. Let me, let me just read to you from the message this descent that takes place because it didn't stop at a manger. That's, that's where we stop short. That's where singers stop. That's the mother's side. We stop at the manger. The father's side goes lower and begins to see he humbles himself all the way to death. Listen to Paul's words. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, here comes the humility. Listen, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. That was the beginning of humility. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process, it says. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above and beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus.
Christ. God gave us his son and that son gave us his life. God giving his son, that was the humility on that Bethlehem night. The son giving his life, that was the sacrifice that took place on a cross. See, Christianity has its roots in Bethlehem and Calvary. At the beginning, there was a cry of a babe in a manger. Remember, that was the beginning from Malachi. That was the 400-year opening of the voice of God. The voice of God opened the annals of history after 400 years of silence with the cry of a babe. But since Christianity has its roots in Bethlehem and Calvary, at the beginning, there was a cry of a babe in a manger. And at the height, there was the cry of a man on a cross. But the manger cry, I want to say this to you, will be incomplete without a Calvary cry. The manger cry will be incomplete without Calvary's cry. The manger cry was God saying, I've become like you. Calvary's cry was God saying, I love you and I've died for you. It's the second cry that changes our lives. Not the first cry. It's the second cry that changes our lives. Calvary's cry was the God-man achieving the purpose from which he came. It was the dying cry that changes us. He was dying for something. He was dying for my sins and your sins. See, the greatest gift that you will find is not under a tree, but he was on a tree. And it wasn't an evergreen tree. It was a cross. When Christ came, God was telling us three things. This is, this is so important. It tells us of the true nature of the world. When Christ came, he was telling us of the true nature of God. And when Christ came, he was telling us the true nature of ourselves. That's what he's doing. He was telling us the nature of the world, the nature of God, and the nature of ourselves. He was making a statement to us on that night. That second cry is so important. I don't want to sing this Christmas. I want to worship. I don't want you to sing. I want you to worship. There are going to be hundreds and thousands of songs playing in retail um, places, playing in supermarkets, on the radio, dedicated stations to nothing but Christmas music, and a lot of people singing. But folks, singing doesn't change anything. Worship does because it defines that child. It stays focused and says, I must worship him. And it calls for the humility. How do you change singing to worship? Let me be as simple as I can. It's by embracing the second cry. That's how you do it. New York City pastor here, Tim Keller, says it like this. Christmas is telling you and me that you can never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to us. That's what Christmas is. We can't make it on our own. We needed God to come. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? In order for us to live forever, in order for us to be forgiven of sins, we can't do it on our own. In fact, there's nothing in us that can fix this unless we do exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is not enough. You need to be, here's the words he used, you need to be born again. That's the word, that's the response to the second cry. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse three, in John three, five, he answers the question on how do you get forgiven? How do you get to heaven? How do you have eternal life? He said, that comes by being born again. Some people would say, well, Pastor Tim, I've taken communion. I've been water baptized. I've been dedicated in the church. My parents are Christians. I'm a good person. And those are all good things. 
That's not what Jesus said. Jesus reformed all that and just said, it's being born again. Those are Jesus' words. It's not Times Square Church words. It's not a Protestant or a Catholic word. It's not even a religious word. But born again is Jesus' word. And he says, no man, this is Jesus speaking, who cannot lie. No man, John 3, 3, can see the kingdom of heaven unless they have been born again. In fact, Jesus says in verse 5, you must be born again, telling us, don't make it an option what Jesus, the Son of God, the man who cried the first time on Bethlehem night, the man who cried for the planet on that Calvary night, don't make it an option when he says you must be born again. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? I want to make it as simple as ABC, what we would tell children in school, learn your ABCs. Man, if you could learn any ABCs, these are the ones you want to learn. A, it's admitting. Each one of these words correspond with a really important word about being born again. A, admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us, starting with me, have a condition that has been diagnosed and it's called sin. And there's not a promise, a program, a priest or a pastor that can get rid of it for me. We need help to fix this condition called sin. I'm broken You're broken on the inside and the diagnosis of sin. And I have to admit that I'm a sinner. Or as one preacher said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. The second word is believe. How does it happen? It's by believing. Believing that God sent his son on that Bethlehem night to fix our sinful condition. He didn't fix it as a baby. He fixed it as our sacrifice. He didn't fix it on the first cry. He fixed it on the second cry. That was the mission. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If we could, then God sending his son 2,000 years ago would, would have been a waste. Him going through the suffering would have been child abuse of God putting him in through all that he went through if we could take, get to heaven on our own. If I can be there by just being good. Jesus's death for me, that second cry was Jesus being my sin bearer, paying paying for my sins. He was dying the death that I should have died. He lived the life I couldn't live and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't deserve. And finally, it's confess. This is a big word. This isn't just speaking with the lips. Confession is really comes from the heart. It's confessing Jesus as Lord. What, do, you, do you think that God sent Jesus on that Bethlehem night to the Calvary afternoon to die on a cross to get us to watch a, a sermon on a, on a computer or to come to church for an hour or two each Sunday? His goal wasn't to get us to church. His goal was to get us to heaven. His goal wasn't for two hours a week. His goal was for eternity. Coming to church on a Sunday, that's religion. Being born again, that's the relationship. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person, which makes even during a pandemic, even if a second surge and a lockdown comes down, it makes it possible to have a relationship with God, even if you're not in a physical building. Because it's not about a place, it's about a person. And I want you to listen. He is there right now as you're watching this. Whether it's on your phone, an iPad, a laptop, whether, whether, whether you are watching it on a TV set, he is there with you right now. And when you confess him as Lord, that means boss, you're in charge of my life. 
That God doesn't want an hour on Sunday. God wants every day. And that's called Lordship. And today, just as you had a first birth and have a birth date, today can be your second birth and your second birth date, your born again date. Well, Pastor Tim, how, how does that happen? I want to pray with you right now. In fact, I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. Pastor Tim, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. Exactly. None of us are. None of us are. Congratulations. That's, that's the part of admitting it. I'm a sinner. God, perf- I want you to get this. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And today can be the first step of your journey. Come on, wherever you're at, would you pray this with me? You may be driving in a car. You may be, you, you may, um, be in, a, in a fitness center. I want you to whisper these words. Maybe it's you as a husband and a wife and a, and a whole family. I want you to pray with me out loud. And, and I want to let it come from the heart. These aren't magic words. It's just summing up the ABCs and saying, God, I want to start a brand new journey with you. I want to be born again. I want this to be my second birthday. You know what happens when this takes place? You're no longer singing, you're worshiping because now you've recognized who he is. Come on, would you pray this with me today? Dear Lord Jesus, come on, say it out loud. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I am so excited for this brand new relationship that you have. This is you responding to the second cry. This is you responding and saying, I'm not just going to sing. I'm going to worship. And my worship starts today. And guess what? There's no time limit to your worship. On December 26th, you can worship. January 1, you can worship. You don't just worship in December or after Thanksgiving. It's worship every single day. Some of you have taken that next step and I really wanna just challenge you to do just one thing for me. Just wherever you're at. It could be on your, on your laptop or phone. If you prayed this prayer, you, you made a decision not to sing but to worship because you recognized who he is. I want you to text the word decided. D-E-C-I-D-E-D. It's right, up, right on the lower thirds of your screen. Text decided to 88202. We want to begin to help you on the next steps of what it is to be born again. Today is your second birth date. Let's take the first step. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, Don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.